Hello and welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl. And I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein. Rick, I'm at the White House. We just had a joint press conference with the President of the United States, that's Donald Trump, and the President of the Government of Spain is the actual title of the Prime Minister of Spain. Uh, and a very interesting uh, back and forth with the President. Uh, some questions which... Uh, you know, some were saying around the um, around the Rose Garden weren't exactly the toughest questions the president has faced, but uh, but some new comments on the uh, on at least a couple of the big issues facing him, including the potential of nuclear annihilation and war uh, with North Korea, and um, you know football players kneeling during the national anthem. It seems like almost equal weight. And if you look at the president's Twitter feed, I think you get a sense of where the priorities have been. John, I'm curious from where you sit on this, because you're sorting through, you know, dozens of storylines in any given day. And a new one plops in your lap when you read on on your laptop about a presidential tweet on this. And he ignites this firestorm on Friday by going off on NFL players. And all through the press conference today, it's still pushing ahead and saying that the NFL players shouldn't be protesting the national anthem. What's going on? Is this strategy? Is this instinct? Is this uh, what, what? What's behind this? And and is it the president saying he's not distracted at all? But it 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 is it, a major focus of this White House right now is what's going on in the NFL. And there's much else that they would like theoretically if this was a strategic uh, plan here to perhaps distract from the. Uh, the utter catastrophe that is facing the island of Puerto Rico. Uh, there's there is a federal response there. It hasn't been quite getting the the, uh, the the reviews that the response to Houston or or Florida has gotten. Uh, that you know got pushed aside a bit because of of all the attention given to the president's tweets and the president's comments on the NFL, uh, the crisis with North with North Korea. Of course, there are two other political stories. Uh, healthcare has now gone down in flames for I think it's the third time, Rick. Last um, time I held three strikes. Um, Does that mean anything? Yes. Uh, so healthcare has gone down. That of course has been a top legislative priority since the day the president stepped foot in the White House. Um, and there's this Senate race uh, going on in uh, in Alabama. Uh, we'll see what happens there, but, but the very real possibility that the president's candidate could lose there. And we're talking about the president's tweets on the NFL. Now, this question was put to him at this press conference I just uh, just got out of uh, by Steve Holland of, of Reuters, asked him, you know, what does he say to those that uh, wonder why you're putting so much attention and time into this, this controversy that really, at this point, hadn't been much of a controversy any longer until the president raised it um, instead of what is happening in Puerto Rico. And I want you to listen to part of the president's response. Well, I wasn't preoccupied with the NFL. I was... Uh ashamed of what was taking place because to me that was a very important moment. I don't think you can disrespect our country, our flag, our national anthem. Uh, to me, the NFL situation is a very important situation. I've heard that before about was I preoccupied. Not at all. Not at all. I have plenty of time on my hands. All I do is work. And to be honest with you, that's an important function of working. It's called respect for our country. So, uh, Rick, there you heard from the president of the United States. I think the operative quote was, I have plenty of time on my hands. Yeah, plenty of time on my hands. That's not how I feel, <laughs> where he gets it from. It actually may have been one of the more telling comments from the president, though, because he does seem to have a, a bit of time to, to watch cable television and absorb the news environment and over the weekend. He doesn't have hobbies. I think that's one of the things he, he was referencing there is that all he does is work, although he does hit the golf course occasionally, as we know. Um, but he, he w- was more than willing to, to jump into something that really wasn't in the news, despite the other things that are out there. And whether that's purely about distraction or whether it has something to do with ginning up his base, 
I my sense is the president's enjoying himself right now. He likes this moment. He likes where he stands on on this issue. And and if he is seen as the person standing up uh, for patriotism for the American flag and against people who might disrespect that, against spoiled rich millionaires who might disrespect that, I think he likes that piece of positioning. And we're going to be talking just a, a few short minutes uh, with Bomani Jones of ESPN, who's got a very interesting take uh, on on this whole NFL controversy from the kind of professional sports side of thing, the cultural side of the issue, a look at the way the the role the owners have have played in this. Um, So we're going to be talking to him in a few minutes. But overhanging all of this is the very uneasy situation that continues to develop vis-a-vis North Korea. And we heard comments from the foreign minister of North Korea that the president's words at the UN and his Twitter feed amount to a declaration of war against North Korea. And as such, uh, the statement from the foreign minister was that the North Koreans are fully within their rights to shoot down American uh, planes, uh, American, American military planes flying even in international airspace. So the president was asked about this and you might wonder, you know, does the president think his rhetoric and his tough line that he's taken on North Korea and the talk of completely destroying the country, is that potentially, you know, putting the North Koreans in a situation where they will act irrationally and and strike first? Will the president try to turn down the temperature now that the North Koreans are talking about a state of war? Well, let's listen to the president. If we take that option, it will be devastating. I can tell you that devastating for North Korea. That's called the military option. If we have to take it, we will. No, I guess you'd say, so no backing down from the threat to attack North Korea if if forced to defend ourselves or our allies, which is the way he put it in his UN speech. Uh, but also, you know, it's the military option. So I would say clearly there's a feeling within this administration. If you don't always get the sense from the president, you'd be forgiven. But, but there's clearly a sense within this administration, I think he was actually underscoring it here, uh, that there still is a diplomatic path. Still a diplomatic path. That, that isn't the sense that you get generally. And I think the North Koreans are, are already saying it's war. And that's that's their own red line to, to move past. I, at a certain point, you wonder how much, how many times he can double down and triple down and, and up the ante and, and use new harsh words on this before it has an impact and it all comes to a head. It doesn't seem like he's shied away from that so far. And I think you, you heard it at the UN last week as well. And General Mattis talking about it. There are options that are out there that, that involve military. And it just seems like these guys are eyeball to eyeball right now without really a full understanding of the consequences of that. Now, we did hear from the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Dunford, uh, that he doesn't see a major change in the military posture of the North Koreans. In other words, they are not looking anymore, you know, and, and like they are preparing for an imminent military conflict. That said... I can tell you from, you know, my days covering the Pentagon that the, the, the thing that keeps uh, military leaders up, especially uh, in Pacific Command, which has re- responsibility over, over, over that part of the world, is that the North Koreans have so much artillery. I'm not talking about nuclear weapons, just mm. artillery, uh, just plain old artillery aimed right at Seoul, uh, that you could have a situation where you have essentially the equivalent of weapons of mass destruction launched, killing millions of people 
in the space of hours because they are so close and there'd be so little warning and there's so little that could be done to stop it. So, you know, it's good <laughs> that we don't see them any in any more of a warlike posture, but they are always to a degree in a warlike posture. Yeah, and that's that that's striking all around. Uh, and then I you know, John, I would just look at the at the home front at this week and the fact that healthcare is now dead once again, the administration's immediately turning to tax reform. Uh, this seems like it's a bad week for Donald Trump and also potentially a bad, very bad week for the Republican establishment, depending on what happens in Alabama in, in the special election. But the, this health care whiff, I mean, how many times it just it plays out almost exactly the same way each time between the CBO and the outside groups and the medical associations and even the same senators who are on the fence, John McCain delivering the death, the death blow once again. Uh, and they're back where they were, which is not having that repeal bill on the president's desk. And they kind of got us this time, Rick. Uh, kind of? You know, we were both, uh, to be fair, I was under 50% in my prediction. But, uh, but, 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 but we both <laughs> at least thought there was a good chance that there would be, that they could actually move it across the line. Yeah. Because why the heck else would they bring it up unless they had the, the votes to do it? But, you know, it's clear now they didn't. Um, I think that... You know, you predicted that Rand Paul would be the one that put it over. McCain. I, predicted, I, thought, I thought McCain. I, I, yeah. I predicted that, uh, that Lisa Murkowski yeah. might be the one if they were able to pull it off. You know, it turns out we were both probably wrong on I think on probably. That. I think it's a good, good um, But, um, but it, you know, it, uh, he, they're going to push now a very big tax cut. Uh, we're talking big numbers. We're talking about a tax cut, not really about tax reform. And... You know, <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I don't see the votes coming coming together there either. And, and uh, but the other thing is, uh, Steve Bannon was down in Alabama campaigning for Roy Moore, and I don't know if it if it caught your attention, but some of the words that he said about uh, the Republican leadership that he had just been working with from his perch at the White House stood yeah. out to me. Uh, let me give you just a couple of quick, very quick quotes. I know, I know you've got to go. We've got to get to our guest. Um, Mitch McConnell, this is, this is Steve Bannon speaking. Mitch McConnell and this permanent political class is the most corrupt and incompetent group of individuals in this country, Steve Bannon said, <laughs> the president's former chief strategist just a few weeks ago. They think you're a pack of morons. They think you're nothing but rubes. They have no interest at all in what you have to say or what you have to think or what you want to do. So that is the president's former uh, campaign chairman and uh, chief strategist in the White House speaking about the Republican leader of the United States Senate who very much controls uh, any chance that the president would have of getting any of his agenda through, especially tax reform. And that whole they think thing, I mean, he was also talking about supporting uh, a candidate who's not the candidate that President Trump himself has endorsed. He's talking about not supporting Senator Luther Strange, who he's he's painting as a swamp creature right now. That's the guy Trump wants. This is this is strange happening. Strange. Uh, To have to have uh, the, the, the grassroots at war with even President Trump himself on this and not to mention the establishment. I think the consequences for any kind of working relationship between President Trump and Mitch McConnell are are calamitous, and not not just because of Steve Bannon. I think Bannon being on the outside now that doesn't really matter. But who's Trump going to blame? Juicy though. I mean, it is on. pretty good. It is pretty yeah. good. But but who's Trump going to blame here? I mean, is he going to blame himself? Anyone thinking that you know what I I screwed up here and uh, I shouldn't shouldn't have endorsed him or you know I chose a, a bad candidate? He's going to blame Mitch. He's going to blame Mitch McConnell, well, whose political group is going to have spent somewhere somewhere near ten million dollars 
to try to, to fend off this primary challenge in a, in a very safe seat, where you presume oh, to be a safe seat in Alabama, my. that's not a good use of money. All right. So we, we've got to take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, we've got our discussion of uh, <laughs> this NFL controversy. And I'm going to start because I want to get your take on this, too. Jerry Jones, America's team, how they played it on Monday Night Football and where this is all going next. We'll be back in a minute. Hey, it's Rebecca Jarvis, and I wanted to tell you about my podcast, No Limits. We bring you a new guest with a new story every Tuesday. We're talking to trailblazing women across a variety of industries to hear about how they've built success and carved a unique path. And you can find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now. Just search No Limits with Rebecca Jarvis and subscribe today. Hey, this is Dan Harris. And uh, I want to tell you about my podcast called 10% Happier. You can listen every Wednesday for new guests and new perspectives. Some of these are people you know, uh, celebrities, athletes, executives. Uh, Some of them are uh, more obscure people that I'm obsessed with that I think you might be obsessed with once you uh, give them a listen. And you can hear about how they're using meditation to up their game in all these interesting areas of life. Again, the podcast is called 10% Happier. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now and subscribe today. All right. And joining us now in Powerhouse Politics, Bomani Jones, the host of The Right Time on ESPN Radio. Thank you for joining us in Powerhouse Politics. No, man. Thanks for having me. So let's get right to what we saw on Monday Night Football uh, before the game. I, everybody was kind of wondering what was Jerry Jones going to do. He had put out a statement earlier in the day, you know, saying that people need to stand for the national anthem. Uh, seeming at odds with so, with so many of the other owners that had been critical of uh, of Donald Trump, um, he came out with the team, knelt with the team before uh, uh, the uh, the anthem, and then and then they all stood locked arms afterwards. What what did you make of that display? Kind of an effort to, to it seems to have it both ways. Well, yeah, I mean, I thought it was strategically brilliant for Jerry Jones. Like, if he separated from anybody's inclination specifically on the topic, this allowed him to be part of the same demonstration of full solidarity that the rest of the NFL owners have been on with this one, and it allowed his players, at least in theory, to make the point that they were kneeling as the others were, while also kind of neutering the effect of what they were doing, because part of the point is to do it during the National Anthem to raise the question as to whether or not this nation truly reflects what the flag and everything, you know, purport to be about. And so Jerry manages to get in there. He gets his photo op. He does not wind up looking terrible in this. The players get to do a little bit of something, and then he is the owner of America's team, which people just have to really appreciate that the Cowboys are something different within this ecosystem. And this allows them to still be America's team. You can't be America's team without dudes standing for the national anthem, right? Right. So, so, so you think he he strategically brilliant, but I, I get the sense in your in your analysis, there's a but here. Yeah, well, it's, I mean, the but is that what has happened in the last couple of days is that the NFL, as a corporate entity, has co-opted this entire measure of protest. Like, I mean, this is not terribly different than, like, when you see your dad wearing the same shoes as you. All of a sudden, your shoes ain't so cool anymore. <laughs> so when the people yeah. in charge are now, like, co-signing what you're doing, is it really a protest? And the owners have managed to do this in such a way that gives no attention to the point of origin 
for this cause. This has nothing to do with police brutality or the treatment of black people anymore. What this was was a solid a statement of solidarity from the NFL against someone who dared impugn the greatness of this American institution. So did the owners, in your view, play into Donald Trump's hands? I mean, you, you, I saw one commentary out there from Senator Ben Sass, a Republican senator, who said, don't kneel because that's exactly what President Trump wants you to do. He wants to highlight divisions. But did the owners play into his hands by by making this no longer about what it was originally and, and neutering the impact of the protest and, and even the ability of players to, to have a say through that, through that mechanism? Well, the difficulty is knowing what is or isn't playing into Trump's hands is knowing what is and is not calculated that he's doing. I'm not sure that it's been thought this far ahead from him. Um, I do think, though, that Jerry Jones certainly did play into his hands in a way, because what Jerry Jones did was make standing for the national anthem compulsory, which is exactly what Trump is saying should be. You should have to stand for the anthem. And Jerry Jones, in effect, said, my team has to stand for the anthem. So if you want to do something before, that's fine, but you have to. So in that way, yes. In the other way that if you want to work on what I think is a fair assumption is that um, Trump wants what's going on in the league to be about him then that has certainly happened also. We can't forget that he's got a little bit of history with the league, and it's fair to wonder if he has a grudge against them based on his experience with the USFL. And the Bills. Uh, so yeah, he never, he never got the Bills. To a degree, they did play into his hands, but more than anything, it's playing out of the players' hands because the larger actual social discussion that has been generated around this is now gone. And the, the cover of Sports Illustrated, um, I'm sure you saw it out today, uh, says that uh, the nation divided but sports united. Do you think that's not true? Do you think that sport, the sports world has not come together with any mean of, meaningful way to show unity in the face of what President Trump has been continually doing, not just with the NFL, but with the NBA and other sports stars over the last couple of days? Yeah, I mean, they may have shown unity in the face of what Trump had to say because he offended the one thing that they all have in common, which is membership and agency within their league. So, like, in that way, yeah, but, I mean, is there really unity? Like, has the sports world truly demonstrated unity? So some of these teams that came out and locked arms, maybe, but you still had enough teams or you have guys taking a knee and guys not. If you were to go poll locker rooms and ask them about the issue of police brutality, how unified do you think they would wind up being? Go look at what's going on in Denver with Derek Wolf being a, no, a noteworthy outlier from the other guys on the defense and how they feel about this. And the thing is, Derek Wolf is roundly considered to be the dude you don't want to mess with, so he can basically say whatever he wants. No, I don't think we have – there is not a measure of unity. Bring this back to the discussion of police brutality, and then let's find out if there's unity. Because if there really was unity in the way that it's being described, Colin Kaepernick would have a job. If the NFL owners truly believed that there was unity in that way, one of them would have given him a job. So what do you make of Alejandro Villanueva um, and and what he did as the sole member of, of, of the Steelers to come out and, uh, you know, come out and stand for, for the anthem, come out of the locker room? And, and then what we saw afterwards, which is his jersey, which I don't imagine was anywhere near a top seller before that moment, now suddenly, uh, you know, the top selling NFL jersey. Yeah, I need to check where his jersey was before in terms of sales, because that is a jersey that people would buy. Like, it's not hard to find people who would find his story to be interesting. He did three tours in Afghanistan, right? right? So there are going to be people who would find that to be, um, you know, attractive, and that would be the guy that, whose name they'd want to put on their backs. But I thought with him, I caught a lot of heat as it happened because my immediate thought when I saw him standing where he did for the National Anthem is, man, you just undermined your coach something vicious. 
Um, and he did. I caught a lot of hell for that because the argument was, hey, he served three tours, he can do whatever he wants, so forth and so on. Then he apologized yesterday, and he said, yeah, you know, I unwittingly, I think he said unwillingly, but I'm assuming he meant unwittingly, that he unwittingly wound up undermining everyone. And so what happened was he was the one guy who got to express his views. Nobody else did, right? So there are a whole bunch of people that had, uh, this is important to different people for different ways, so it could be important to him because of his service, but who's to say what the experiences are the other guys who were on their team who wanted to demonstrate in a different way and then were not allowed to but this one guy was so i did think that the way it went was problematic he certainly has the right to stand and honor the flag as he so desires but if you look at the pictures of the guys in the tunnel who were well behind him there were plenty of them who were standing with their hands over their hearts he could have done it just like they did he didn't have to do it out there in front of everybody else and that was where it struck me as being funny so do you view this now? The, the, the NFL is the most powerful sports entity in the United States, maybe on the planet. This is a money-making machine. It's also, as you know, and as you've covered, it's a league in crisis. They've got big issues around head injuries, around substance abuse, around domestic violence, big existential challenges. But they are so more people are watching NFL games than watch anything else on television. Is President Trump taking on something that is bigger than him that he cannot defeat? Or is it sort of low-hanging fruit to try to splinter people from a league that has as many challenges as it does right now and has as diverse a fan base as it does? Well, the question is, is he really going after the league? And in some ways in Alabama he did where he talked about, you know, you hit somebody too hard, it's a penalty or whatever it is. Or is he taking on the players? Because taking on the players is actually pretty easy. Uh, sports fans have a pretty tenuous relationship with the athletes that they watch and upon whom they heap praise. It's always a little bit tricky as to how they actually feel about them. It doesn't take much to make people go the other way on them. So I think for Trump, it is not really very difficult to wage a, a war on rabble-rousing players, especially when the rabble-rousing players make a lot more money than most of the fans. It is very easy to play on the resentment that comes from that. Now, going after the giant league, yeah, in one way that might be a little too big for him, but I can tell you corporate entities are deathly afraid of the power of a Donald Trump tweet. They really, really are. And so as long as he's the president, I don't know if the NFL can really say it's no problem, we can take this guy down. Well, you know, you raised at the beginning of the of this conversation something that that, uh, that that is interesting, and a lot of people have not, you know, don't think about and probably don't even know or remember uh, if if they at one point knew. But it was Donald Trump's uh, role as, as you know the owner of uh, of the New Jersey Generals, somebody who sued the NFL, won the lawsuit, but then only won what was it a one dollar judgment? Uh, I believe it was $3.76. Yeah, okay, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. By the way, one of the one of the great 30 for 30s recommend tr- to everybody that the, the 30 for 30 on the man who killed the USFL. Uh but it, but it is a, it is a fascinating history. I mean, this this we've never had a president who you know, who, who at one point literally, you know, went 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 to war, I mean, in a legal sense, uh with with the NFL. Well, who also tried to buy in a couple of years ago, at least the news was out, yep. that he was trying to you know, become the owner of the Buffalo Bills. And I don't think there was ever a possibility that the got, NFL got, owners... Got the Heisman, so to speak, yeah. Yeah, like, I, don't think, I don't think that they were ever going to let him in. I don't think there was any chance at that. So you, had, you have to ask that question as to how this plays into this. But, you know, that speech he gave in Alabama, I mean, this is this was easy money for that crowd. That was an easy thing to throw out there. Uh, keeping in mind, that's a college football crowd, not a pro football crowd. So, yeah, he was specific 
specific about the NFL. He didn't just talk about football in general. So for like what he did there, that was so easy. Now I think what's the name of McCoster from CNN and said that Trump is going to make this his new culture war. I don't know, right? Like I can't say how that's going to play. He said he had an aide, you know, one of Trump's aides who told him that. Um, if that's how it goes, this is going to be very interesting for people in my business because as much as people want to stay out of the politics of it, if Trump decides he's going to be in NFL business all the time, what are you supposed to do? We'll cover it. I guess it's going to be a story. <laughs> it's a, welcome to our world, Bamani. <laughs> Before we let you go, I, I, Donald Trump is a sports fan. What does he remind you of? Is, are there any? Is there an archetype of a Donald Trump sports fan? You know who he is. You know where he grew up. I mean, I can I can hear him. I echoes of him in late night WFAN calls. You know, railing against these overpaid players. But does what does he remind you of with his with who he's a fan of and and how he views sports? Yeah, the thing is, I don't really have a great gauge on what his, like, actual fanhood is and, like, what really brings him there. So, like, he's got the friendship with Tom Brady. Well, the friendship with Tom Brady is very beneficial for Trump, right? Like, sure. that's a cool guy to say that you are cool with. And so I would say, if you say you remind me of some sort of sports fan, he's that guy in the sense that, hey, man, most people say what they want, but they got a couple guys they love to, like, snuggle next to and say, hey, man, this is the guy that I'm cool with, while railing against the others. Like, I mean, I guess I don't I don't see him as being any particular type of anything other than the unique Donald Trump. Well, I, I will say I was uh, happened to be with Trump um, just as the, uh, the the Deflate Gate stuff uh, had had exploded. He was he, he had just started um, uh, you know flirting with running for president, uh, hadn't declared yet, and and I asked him. Uh, I, I just, you know, was out in Iowa and I, and I asked him uh, what his take was it and he fully and immediately uh, defended entirely uh, Tom Brady. Uh, it was very, very interesting. But, but anyway, Bomani Jones, The Right Time is the uh, ESPN radio show. It's great to talk to you. Thanks for joining us on Powerhouse Politics. And the way things are going, we may have to have you back on soon. <laughs> hey, man, I appreciate it. I'll be around. All right, take care. The worlds are colliding indeed, John. Yeah, something else, man. Well... Um, you know, I, I wonder, Rick, where it all goes and if we're still going to see, you know, we're obviously uh, uh, just just here in the beginning of the uh, the NFL season. I mean, is this still gonna, is stuff still going to be going on? Is this going to be an issue as we get as we get further into the season or, or is this, um, you know, where does it go? How long does this does this last? Remember, the whole Kaepernick's not in the league. Yeah. Um, this issue had had basically faded until sure, yeah. Trump revived it. Yeah, he did, and, and and I think he's enjoying it. I think his team is enjoying it, and they, you, you see them now. They were able to wrap themselves in the American flag and change the meaning. I think well, my name makes a good point. They changed the meaning of what the protests were about when he says they're not about race. Of course they're about race. That's exactly what this was about in the first place. But if he changes this and makes it rich, spoiled brats who, get, who are overpaid to play sports on Sundays against the American flag, against the troops, against first responders, good luck with that. And I think he feels like he's on solid ground. And, John— if he decides to play this role, not just on this, because, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I've covered over the years, and you have as well, many times where sports and politics collide. If he wants to be first fan or first pundit around sports, that's actually really fertile ground. And the people are talking about those things. You inject yourselves in the culture. As Bamani points out, he's able to make it about himself. So whether or not it's about this 
the next time there's a big uh, crisis around substance abuse uh, or a debate around paying athletes or what you name teams, for instance, the, the Native American. He loves team the stuff. He loves yeah. it almost as much as Obama loved filling out his ESPN. You know, his 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 his, 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 his uh, brackets. His brackets. Yeah. Yeah. And so if he plays like that, then this could be a a, a, a semi permanent feature from President Trump and the sports radio talk presidency, and maybe just began. There you go. Well. That's all the time we have now, Rick. We've got a busy day at the White House. You've got a busy day on the political front. Uh, we've got an amazing uh, a race we're going to talk about uh, in, 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 the, in Alabama. Uh, but thank you for listening for this special edition of Powerhouse Politics. We'll be back next week, maybe even later this week. As a matter of fact, I think we will be back later this week, Rick. Bold promise, John. Bold I'm telling promise. you. I'm telling you. So thank you for listening. Thank you for Avery Miller, for David Ryan, for our entire Powerhouse Politics team. Talk to you again soon.